Welcome to another episode of the Stoic Creative Broadcast, where the art of living and the creative process converge. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of the Stoic Creative Handbook, available now on Amazon. Visit thestoiccreative.com to download the free chapters and get guided and get going right away. Let's meet today's guest. Let's meet today's guest, John Sellers. John, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much for being here. Would you please introduce yourself and share a project that you're currently working on or excited about? Thanks, Scott. Um, so yes, I'm John Sellers. I'm based in uh, in London, uh, in the UK, and at the moment, I've been um, putting together a uh, Stoicon event that will happen in London at the end of Stoic Week this year. And in fact, it was a while ago that you invited me to come on to um, your show, and I said, not just yet. Um, I'll come back to you soon once I've got some information to share. And um, the event that I was waiting to organise before coming to talk to you was the Stoicon event in London. So that's all now set up. Um, the, the big Stoicon event will happen in Toronto at the beginning of Stoic Week. And then we've got various smaller events scheduled all over the world now that will happen at the end. And Stoicon in London will be one of those. Um, now, I thought that what I would need to do is come on and plug it to make sure we've got lots of people to come along. But I'm pleased to say that the tickets sold out in less than a week. So wow. it's sold out already and there's a, a, a waiting list. So um, hopefully it will be a big success. Well, that's, uh, that's a great place for us to start. Um, and so first of all, congratulations on your success. And um, you know, it does appear that stoicism is experiencing yet another revival and uh, what are some of the reasons you think for the reason that stoicism has kind of regained popularity and is um, kind of something its status has kind of um, been elevated in kind of the popular consciousness right now? I really don't know. I'm not sure why it suddenly um, struck a chord with so many people. And I'll be honest with you, the first time we did Stoic Week, I thought it was a great experiment. I was very pleased to do it. And at the end of the, the, uh, at the, end of the week when, we, when we'd done it for the first time fully, um, which was the second round, right? The first round was kind of a dry run just to see if the thing would work. The second time round was the serious attempt to do it. And once we'd done it, I thought, okay, we've done that now. Let's move on to the next thing. And a couple of other people in the group said, no, 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 we should definitely do it again next year. There'll be more and more people. I said, okay, that's fine. More than happy for us to, to do it again. But after a couple of years, people will be tired of it. The numbers will drop off and it will slowly have, have, have had its day. And the thing that really surprises me is that each year, more and more people are signing up and it's just getting bigger and bigger. So I was proved wrong on that. Um, and the, I, so I don't have an explanation for the popularity, but it, it is striking. And uh, when we were first first doing Stoic Week, there really were only one or two popular books um, on Stoicism aimed at a much wider audience. I mean, there was William Irving's book, which I suppose was the real sort of trailblazer. And there were other books like Donald's book, uh, Donald Robertson's book, which is a very which is a very interesting and useful book, but wasn't really aimed as a practical guide for people, even though it has lots of useful information in it. But since then, um, Massimo has published his book very recently. Um, Ryan Holiday has been publishing his works. 
And so now there really is a, a whole army of, of popular Stoic books that just didn't exist when we started in 2012. So, and we can sort of bring in then some, um, uh, the idea of creativity into this discussion, just about what's going on with Stoic Week and Stoicon, because you were kind of at the center of this um, initial creative enterprise, this cre creating this event and collaborating with um, some some really um, in smart and, um, you know, I would also argue generous collaborators and, tr and trying to share um, this ancient philosophy that has so much practical application to the modern world. Um, and like any creative endeavor, everybody goes into something like that saying, well, this might not work. <laughs> um, actually, most of us go into our creative endeavor, endeavors expecting that it won't work. And so it's always like uh, this delightful surprise when something that, when we put something out into the world and say, here, I made this, I hope you like it. And then people do in fact um, like it. So um, as you, you know, you, your initial, your initial uh, enterprise you thought was going to be kind of a one shot deal. And so how many years is Stoic Week and Stoicon now, what, what number are we at? Sure. So, so we, we first met up in, in Exeter in, two, I think it was 2012. Um, and it was very much Christopher Gill's idea. Right? He was the driving force. He was the guy who said to a number of people, some of whom he knew already, including me, others that he just knew of but hadn't actually met before, like Donald Robertson. And at that stage, I'd read Donald's work, but I hadn't met him. So the first time I met Donald and Jules Evans and a number of other people was at this meeting that Chris organized. So 2012, we, we did Stoic Week for the first time. Um, but that was very much a small affair. It was very much pitched at students in Exeter who were studying Roman philosophy. And in fact, if you look on YouTube, some of those students back in 2012 did little video um, blogs of their experiences following it, um, following um, the Stoic handbook. And then 2013 was the first year we rolled it out properly. And that year was the first year we did a public event. So I organized the first public event, the events that have now become called Stoicon, which was Jules Evans name. He came up with the name. But the first one we called Stoicism for Everyday Life. And uh, again, you may have seen it, but we did we did a short video of that. Um, yeah. Um, that we that we had made. So 2013 was the first real big year. So 14, 15, 16, 17. This is the fifth the fifth year um, of running it f fully to a wide public audience with a big public event attached. Um, yeah. I'm amazed that we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I, I have a, a theory about why stoicism is back on the rise, and I'll just float it out there, and then you can sure. you can uh, you can give me your assessment. I mean. To me, uh, I was I was introduced to, to Stoicism in 1976 as a seventh grade Latin student, translating you know some of those segments of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, and um, I fell in love with with Meditations and read it annually for many many years um, through my college years and young adulthood. But I never really I, I don't think I ever necessarily was thinking of um, what he was saying is overtly stoic. I'm not sure that I even was aware of that there was a philosophy behind the things that he was writing. But stoicism seems to be um, two things. One, a philosophy that rose and came 
achieved popularity during very, very difficult times. I would argue that the Hellenistic period was a pretty challenging time to, to be a human being. Um, you know, the risk of enslavement, exile, conscription, death by various diseases um, or invasion. Uh, and, and the times that we live on now are certainly challenging um, in, in, their own, in their own ways. And Stoicism is a philosophy that has great practical um, use for individuals, but it's also one that does encourage us to get along and to serve others much the way that you're doing with the Stoic Week at StoicCon events. Um, tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, just as an aside, so my, I mean, my first encounter with Stoicism was also as a student uh, reading Marcus Aurelius. Um, it wasn't part of my formal studies, but I just came across the book by chance and read it and, and, and it just really connected with me. And, um, and a bit, as, as you said, um, I didn't really have an idea that there was a, a, a big formal philosophical system behind the, this book. It just, but so many of the themes within the book just really struck a, struck a chord with me. Um, I have to say, I'm slightly sceptical of the idea that Stoicism is a philosophy for tough times. I mean, that's quite, that's quite, I mean, it's a very common idea. It's often brought up and I can see the way in which people can find it helpful in tough times. But I wouldn't want to, I mean, it's often a, of, that's often presented as a criticism of Stoicism, right? So that this is a philosophy for tough times, but when things are well, why would anyone believe in <laughs> stuff? Right. So it just becomes something that you use in, 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 very, in, in very difficult periods. But that doesn't make it attractive as a life, as a, as a, as a life philosophy that you would use um, regardless. So I'm a, I, I, would, I, think, I suppose I'd want, to, I, I'd want to push back from that a little bit. Um, um, as to why it's attractive now, I mean, one thing that I think it's worth underlining is, well, I mean, there are, uh, there are debates about this, about the kind of how religious Stoicism is, how materialist Stoicism is. But my approach has always been that this is a this is a materialist philosophy. This is a naturalist philosophy. There's nothing supernatural in Stoicism, and that's one of the reasons I think why Stoicism struck a chord with people in the early modern period, in the 17th and 18th century, and during the Enlightenment. A lot of people were reading Stoic texts and and finding um, lots of resonances in Stoic authors with. Um, the principal ideas at, at the time then. And so I think if you've got a largely secular society, I mean, we're talking about the rise of, the rise of interest in Stoicism in, 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 in the West, in Europe and in, in North America, primarily. Um, in a broadly secular society where people don't necessarily have supernatural beliefs anymore, um, they broadly accept science, but they don't, but they're looking for a worldview, they're looking for an ethical outlook that's compatible with that. If we think of the Stoics as materialists and naturalists, then they op offer a secular worldview that fits with that. Um, and I think that for, for people that aren't committed to an organized religion, but still want some kind of ethical guidance, it's, it's, a, it's a worldview that, that can fit with their existing secular scientific beliefs with some modifications. 
So maybe, maybe that's one reason. Um, having said all of that, um, there are plenty of people in, throughout history that have found ways in which they can reconcile Stoicism with, with broadly Christian beliefs. I mean, in the 19th century, uh, Marcus Aurelius was a huge hit in Victorian England and was presented very much as a, uh, as a, uh, as a thinker that Christians could read profitably. Um, and that's also been true in other earlier periods as well. So it's interesting the way in which Stoicism has appealed to both secular, um, secular humanists, um, and it's also appealed to people that want to go back to some kind of pagan outlook, whatever that might be. But it's also one that the people have seen as being very sort of compatible with Christianity. And the fact that people can kind of twist it and tweak it and amend it in these different ways to kind of make it fit with where they're coming from, maybe that is contributes in some ways to it the, its sort of enduring popularity. Interesting. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna speak up in defense of my assertion just briefly, okay. and then we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. So um, I I would argue that in in a way. Um, the times are always challenging because even when when times when things are going well, that's actually when they can actually be the most dangerous for the individual because then we can very easily get caught up in our own success or um, attach ourselves, our, our our sense of well-being and our worth to the to what is usually um, happenstance. I mean, we just happen to get something right, or we happen to have some good fortune, or to get lucky. And one, of the, I guess. Um, I, I guess in a way I think of just the human condition is, is brings, is a challenge. And the thing that I love about stoicism is how it is a philosophy that, um, that calls us to achieve our potential as, as virtuous human beings, as social human beings, as rational human beings, uh, or to cultivate virtue through our, reason and through our social interactions um and so uh, and you can you can you can counter argue that if you want to but um you said something very interesting that i'd like to just stick a pin in and and talk a little bit more about and this idea now with modern stoicism there do appear to be people that are kind of all in declared stoics that believe in you know all the principles and and are doing their best to practice all the exercises and and to live life in accordance with stoic um, principles and practices and then um there's many more i think that are um taking kind of the shopping cart approach and saying well there's some things here in stoicism um that i can take and apply to my life that will help me you know optimize um myself or um you know improve my Myself in, in some way. Um, is there a particular, do you have any particular thoughts on one approach over the other? And through your endeavors and efforts with Stoicon and Stoic Week, is, is there, I know that there's a, a, an exercise called Live Like a Stoic for a week. Um, but, you know, do, are you encouraging people one way or the other? Or are you just putting it all out there and letting them choose for themselves? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with what you said at the beginning then at all. Um, and I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the things that's very interesting about Stoicism is the way it speaks to the human condition. So independent of whether we think times are good or bad politically, there are certain things about just what it means to be a, a finite human being and the challenges that that can throw up sometimes. 
And those are the things that stoicism really speaks to. Um, and, and that's timeless. And that's why these books written 2000 years ago can still be so striking for, for people today. Um, I mean, as for, as for how to approach it, I mean, one of the things that I've found looking at the, the history of ancient Stoicism, the different philosophers that were active over the 500 or so years, is that they, they don't all agree about everything. I mean, the history of the Athenian Stoics, every single figure seems to reject one of the core Stoic doctrines of a previous generation. Um, and it's quite striking, I think, that, that the, the real card-carrying Stoics, people who were the scholarchs of the Athenian Stoa, the most orthodox Stoics there, there have ever been, didn't simply unthinkingly take up every doctrine that is supposedly core Stoic doctrine. They rejected some, they disagreed, they argued with their predecessors, they put their own stamp on it. And I think that that's something really important to remember. This isn't a religious movement, right? There isn't a body of doctrine you must submit to. And so if you can be head of the Athenian Stoa and still say, well, you know what? I don't think that all of nature is a, is, is a, is a conscious living being, okay? Um, after all, then, I mean, I think that the, the, the modern, modern sort of admirers of Stoicism can certainly reject doctrines that they don't think are convincing. Um, and still say, well, I'm enough of a Stoic to be a Stoic if they want, if they want to have a label. Um, so I don't think it's an all or nothing affair. I think we can, we can, we can take as much or as little as we want. And if, if, if a lot of it is attractive and we want to say, okay, I, I'm a Stoic and have the label, then, then that's fine. But I don't think that there's a, there's a fixed body of doctrine that you must commit to. And I think that goes against the spirit of Stoicism in a way, because what we have to remember is it is a philosophy, it's not a religion. And philosophers think for themselves, they argue with one another, they don't agree on everything. So a group of Stoic philosophers, we would expect to argue with each other about these you know, really important issues, not to say, well, what did Chrysippus say? He got it right. I mean, that's not philosophy anymore, right? That's just not philosophy. So... I think that um, I think we ought to we we ought to you know um, present ideas, let people make their own minds up, and if people want to accept the label, then that's that's up to them. If they just want to say there are some bits here that I can learn from and that I find helpful, but um, I don't buy enough of it to accept the label, then then that's good too. Yeah, um, that's an excellent excellent point. I I I think of stoicism as still a living tradition. And as you pointed out, Greek Stoicism and Roman Stoicism already look, have differences that are significant. And modern Stoicism has some things that look very different than ancient Stoicism, but it's, it is all part of a tradition that just happens to go back over 2000 years. I always often tell people when they ask me what Stoicism is, I preface it by saying, well, it's not a religion. It's not a dogma or doctrine. It's just, it's a, a way, uh, it's principles and practices for navigating, na navigating what can often be a very challenging life uh, yeah. as a human being. And, um, 
So I, I, I love that. We're more past the halfway point. And the thing I most wanted to ask you about, uh, because it, it just helped me so profoundly, was you wrote, uh, you shared on your blog um, an article about the, the, uh, the Stoic Archer metaphor. Mm. And I think that, um, especially for creatives, there are some very, there's very powerful medicine in, in that metaphor. Would you mind just sharing where that comes from um, and uh, giving us kind of a thumbnail sketch of, of what the metaphor is and, and how it's of, of value? Okay, sure. So, so one, of the, one of the sort of middle period Stoics, um, Antipater, draws this analogy with um, archery. And he says that when the Stoic acts, it's like an archer shooting at a target. And rather than the goal being to hit the target, the goal ought to be to aim well. And this, and this is kind of quite frustrating from a Stoic scholarship perspective, partly because the only evidence we have is just one paragraph in, in Cicero. So there's not much to get your teeth into, but also it's generated a lot of controversy in the in the sort of scholarly literature because people have taken it that Antipater is basically saying there are two goals. One goal is to kind of hit the target. And there's this other goal, which is not to hit the target, but to kind of do your best to hit the target. And is there a logical inconsistency here and so on and so forth? And people have sort of tied themselves up in knots about this. How do you unpack this based on this very, very flimsy bit of evidence? And then, I mean, I've I've um, I've read various books on on Zen Buddhism over the years. I'm not, you know, just out of, of interest and curiosity. I'm not a, a great devotee, but um, I think it's a fasc fascinating um, approach to to things. And I read Herigel's book on on Zen and the Art of Archery, and this just struck me as a very interesting way to think about what Antipater was saying. Because rather than just a compressed paragraph, we've got an entire book. <laughs> so there's a lot more, more material to get our teeth into. And not only that, rather than some obscure theoretical point of, is this the telos or is that the telos? In Herigel's book, it's about practice. It's about activity. It's about what it is you're actually trying to do. And it just struck me as a really helpful way to flesh out this obscure point that Antipater was making, which is that, that you really ought to throw aside the, the, the goal of hitting the, the, the 